Hello, I'm John Kenny, the Relationship Guy, and Relationship Coach, helping people to create healthy, intimate relationships. Welcome to the show. The show where we talk about all things relationships with a mix of my own relationship ramblings and some great guests from all walks of life who will be discussing the importance of relationships to them. Hello, so my guest today is an author, integrative health coach and mindfulness instructor, as well as being a medical anthropologist. And she helps people to achieve optimal health and well-being, whether it be working with communities or individuals. Welcome to the show, all the way from Colorado, Sue Snyder. Thanks so much for having me, John. It's great to be here. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time today. Um, That was a a brief introduction and there's lots of things in there. So please do tell (laughs) the listeners more about yourself, what you do and how you help. Yeah, well, I am a medical anthropologist, as you say, this is uh, my training from 20 years ago. And really that anchors uh, my work and my interests because what uh, medical anthropology is, is really um, the observation of global health and healing practices. I have, yeah, I've always been super interested in how other cultures do health and healing, um, knowing that there is so much wisdom and so much knowledge from our past, from Mm -hmm. traditional cultures and, um, how people are incorporating, uh, some of those practices in, into our current day lives today. Um, And uh, interestingly, uh, I really focus my research on um, some communities in Mexico. So to give you a little bit of context of what this looks like, I did a lot of research with women grassroots health promoters in a small town in Mexico that was an urbanizing town. And what they were doing was, well, I'll just say this, while up the hill, up the mountain, you know, mm-hmm. women are practicing as curanderas, they're doing traditional healing, um, using, uh, finding herbs in the mountains and utilizing those for healing purposes. Yeah. Women in these urbanizing towns were actually talking about this work in terms of resuscitating traditional medicine. Okay. And so they might even be calling on the internet to learn more about an herb that they found while going (laughs) to collect plants, which is such, it was such a fascinating glimpse into globalization. But the interesting thing also was, is that they were drawing from Eastern traditions and practices. So they were bringing practices like Reiki and acupuncture into their community clinics and training health promoters to use these practices. Um, So that kind of gives you a glimpse while some anthropologists are really integrating in very traditional cultures and and observing um, what uh, belief systems are around these practices and, Mm. and what still exists other uh, anthropologists are observing culture change and social change and how that manifests in and health and healing traditions like this. Yeah. Sorry, just a quick question. So was there a breakdown between the traditional people? There were there were no links anymore. They they knew this stuff kind of existed, but there there were there was no knowledge being passed into these new areas. Um, There is knowledge being passed into these areas, um, but it just depends on where people lived. Um, And it's, you know, folks in more urbanizing towns, of course, were passed down information from their grandparents. And so they had some of this knowledge. Um, but this new generation of health promoters were really um, looking to bring it back in different kinds of ways. And they weren't fully inculcated in some of this knowledge. Yeah. So it just depends on where and how urbanized some of these areas are. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a story that we see all over the yeah. world as well. Yeah, it's interesting about coming back to the old maybe tried trusted and proven remedies of old that that you know that we've completely forgotten about pushed to one side in a a lot of um in what we do nowadays especially in the kind of western culture but there has been the last 20 years or so hasn't there has been a shift back into more traditional homeopathy um mindfulness like you said reiki type uh, approaches to kind of helping people with with healing and well-being Yes. And and here's where the mindfulness comes into the story. Um, so this uh, group that one of the, the head health promoters actually went to 
the city, Mexico City, ran into an American um, mindfulness instructor who was in Mexico during the summer to actually teach Mexicans about mindfulness. And she invited her into the community center that they, these health promoters were working out of and that I was studying and participating in. And this American woman taught in Spanish a seven day, she did a seven day retreat. I was super hesitant to join this retreat because I'm like, I don't have time for, (laughs) you know, I don't want to think about my breath right now. I have work to do. You know, I'm here. I was on a Fulbright scholarship. I was, I had a year to do this, this big research project. And I decided I'm going to, I'm going to give this a try. I'm just going to see how this is. And it was an interesting way to observe also what Catholic health promoters do with a training in mindfulness. So here you have another globalized cross-cultural kind of experience. That's in, that is an interesting kind of connection, it, isn't it? It was. But for me, having gone through that retreat just changed my life. Right, okay. Because I actually took the time to settle in, to mm-hmm. learn some of these tools and techniques, mm-hmm. um, to get really, really quiet and present for this week mm-hmm. with this beautiful group of women. And we all went through this process together. And I had not been, I had taken yoga classes and maybe, maybe a meditation class here or there. Cause I had, you know, been in college and done those things, but this experience changed my life. And when I finished up with that research a year later and, and went back home, I was mm-hmm. living in Michigan at the time. I immediately sought out a Sangha, a meditation group that I could practice with formally every single week. Mm-hmm. I began, of course, reading all of the literature I could, all of the great wisdom teachers in this tradition. Yeah. And it set me off on a, a pretty amazing journey in my life that it continues on today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I tell this story because it's it's just a fascinating way to look at how complicated mindfulness is being brought you know, from the East into the West, into different cultures, Mm. and how we can find ourselves exposed to it in different kinds of ways. And now, you know, John Kabat-Zinn in the 70s started his mindfulness-based stress reduction program that uh, really brought mindfulness into our medical systems and our health care across the U.S. and Mm. now all over the world. Um, And now it's just getting situated in so many different contexts so that people have access to some of these very ancient 3000 year old teachings, which is a really fascinating other way to look at the globalization of, of care and of self-care and of healing traditions. Yeah. So there's a couple of questions I've got for that then. So first of all, obviously mindfulness as maybe in some cases seems a bit of a buzzword nowadays. So if I could get your, your interpretation of maybe what mindfulness is and how it helps people yeah yeah i mean it boils down to presence it Mm -hmm. boils down to um our kind of non-judgmental presence in the moment that is such a simplified version because what happens when we can get quiet and present and focus our attention on an anchor like the breath Mm -hmm. or like sensations in the body or hands or our feet different anchors can be used. What happens then is that we train our mind to open space to observe. We become observers Mm -hmm. of whatever is happening internally. Mm -hmm. At first, this is how we train ourselves. We're observing what's internal. We can also observe and listen to sounds, right? Mm -hmm. But more so it's really, uh, we start with the breath. We notice the sensations we can become more attuned to emotions, the arising and falling of thoughts. Over time with practice, we begin to see that everything changes. Nothing is permanent. Our thoughts come and go as much as we think they define us and we get really hooked and locked into them, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. When we become observers of our mind, we notice that no matter how sticky they are, if we stick with them, open space with kindness and gentleness, we can see that they come and go. They say like clouds in the sky. And this kind of training has implications in 
every area of our lives. Mm -hmm. It has implications in how we make wise choices that are from a grounded and aware place. It has implications for how we manage our relationships, for how we communicate with other people, Mm -hmm. for how we perceive what's outside of us, how we perceive the world. And in this day and age of divisive right and wrong, black and white, to open up space to look a little bit beyond the attachment of an opinion or a belief or a thought is so incredibly important. And so, yes, this is, this is, you know, requires consistent, committed internal work to paying attention and sitting with things that may be difficult that arise. And this kind of work, I just, the reason why I am so passionate about this and why I have focused so much of my energy around this Mm. is because there are not just implications for us being well or being aware. There are implications for how we all carry ourselves and make choices in the outside world. Okay. Could you uh, could you tell me a bit more about that? And then I'm going to come back to my second part, which I think you've probably kind of intimated to anyway, which is how that experience in Mexico, you said it completely mm. changed your life. So mm, if you yeah. could... Uh, just maybe then tell us a, just don't, if you can remember to the chance of those two that'd be great thanks yeah well as a as a young budding professional um thinking that you know i needed to be successful and prove myself and do this anthropology work and um you know work hard mm. i was fighting a lot of tendencies towards perfectionism. Of course, this is my inheritance. This is what I grew up with. Um, But I uh, really found myself highly anxious. So um, it's, uh, we understand anxiety a lot more now than we did. This was in 2003. This was early 2000s. And um, I was not comfortable. I was not comfortable with myself. I was fearful. I um, was also, you know, living my life in a different language in this culture that I was trying to learn about and um, trying to connect with people in a real way. But at the same time, I was an observer of the culture because that's my that was my job. That was what I needed to do. Mm. And so I was really plagued with with just incredible levels of anxiety. And so when I underwent this process, which was overwhelming at first. And I talk a lot in, in my book and when I when I share my story about um, how hard it was me to learn for me to learn to meditate because my initial kind of somatic response was kind of dizziness because my my fight or flight system would kick in when right. I was trying to tell my system, no, it's okay to just relax and focus on the breath. Like I was fighting that and I did yeah. for for years. Um, but this is also a sign of like, okay, I'm onto something. Um, I need to pay attention to this. What what am I? What do I need to learn from the incredible force and energy of my anxiety? And so, um, to be able to over time, and this is really the power of retreats, which not everyone can access mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason. But there is a power to sitting for a number of days in a row. Okay. I kind of got worn down. The anxiety kind of got worn yep. down okay. over time. And I found myself in a space of peace and quiet in a way that I had never tapped into before, never in my life, because I had never invested kind of the time and the attention to it. So to be able to experience that in the height of my anxiety, um, it really opened my eyes. And your own anxiety to what was causing your anxiety. Is it, is yeah. it the, it's the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system, right? Yes, it was absolutely the sympathetic nervous system that was just on overdrive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And by accessing your... Or the parasympathetic, sorry. Yeah, no, yeah. Yes, so the by, sympathetic. <laughs> yeah, so by accessing uh, the sympathetic nervous system, you were able to switch off the tendency to be anxious, the thoughts maybe that were leading to the anxiety. Yeah, I was slowing it down. And I was able to begin to investigate and I was able to um, begin to send messages to my body that I had never been able to send 
And this is a very somatic practice. Mm. This isn't a heady practice. We're not in our heads. Mm-hmm. We talk about the breath as the gateway to the body. And so a lot of traditions that anchor in the breath with mm-hmm. mindfulness are doing that so we can fully be present in our body. Mm-hmm. We cannot settle our nervous system if we are not present in our body. And so we have to have an entry point and the breath is a powerful entry point. But I will say this for people with anxiety like me, and I didn't know enough about the techniques at that time, Mm. um, you know, techniques like walking, slow walking meditation, where you can feel your feet touch the earth very slowly Mm -hmm. are really great and powerful. We don't need to sit and watch our breath to reap the benefits of meditation. We need to understand where we are. And if we are highly anxious and, you know, on kind of an overdrive reaction, there are other techniques we could focus on the sensations in our hands, the Mm -hmm. sensations in our feet, or do more grounding exercises like walking. And so I don't want to suggest like, you have to sit for three days to yeah. be able to. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, a lot of the stuff us. that you read about mindfulness and stuff is no. very much in the immediacy of it as well, isn't it? Like yes. you said, you know, if you can't really focus on the breath or if you don't have the time to kind of retreat or take a few days to do this, there are these instant yes. uh, instant ways that you can just get into your body, take yourself out of your head and just alleviate some of the stress, anxieties and stuff that's going through you. Yes. Yes. And this is what I think culturally we need to be able to pass on because people have a lot of boundaries, barriers around practices yeah, yeah. like this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think Whether, yeah. Just, I was having a chat a little while ago and we, he, was, he was talking about um, like hunting when, like when we were back in the, back in the uh, caveman type days. And he said like, just imagine how focused on their breath Ugh. they would have had to be when they were hunting to be very still in yes. the moment. And he said, oh, and he was saying, I said, there's got, be the, oh, there's got to be a connection with that presence of mind yes. and presence of body. Absolutely. In that, even like something that's that, you know, genetically in us somewhere. Absolutely. And this is where um, deep intuition comes in too. Yeah. And one of the things that I feel is um, a long-term benefit from, from a deep practice is that we learn to listen to the wisdom that arises. And so I'm so thinking about the hunter-gatherers, right? Mm. And their access to tactile senses, to visual, they could track, you know, oh. animals, you know pause or whatever. Um, They could smell miles away, Mm -hmm. right? All of these senses. And instinctively, they knew when to stop, when to go, how far to go. Mm -hmm. And I do think, I mean, and that's pure cultural anthropology of like, let's understand what, what, what are these skills, these like human skills that we had. And because of modern society, we have lost access to. Yeah. And the listening to ourselves and feeling our, you know, internal responses is one of those things we've lost access to that mindfulness really can bring us back. We can, we can find out that that inner wisdom is actually fully still intact. We just have to listen. Definitely. Definitely. And your, that coaching that you do, I know you're, like I said in the introduction, you're a mindfulness instructor, but the coaching that you do, is that very much like creating that total well-being or optimal well-being? Is that around mindfulness and the practices that 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 can bring? Yeah, yeah. I was trained in a a model actually developed by Duke, Duke Integrative Medicine. And in this model, mindfulness is at the center of health, at the center of health. And I think this is so brilliant. Because if we do not bring that awareness to what's happening, we can't identify the whys of, you know, why we feel imbalanced or mm. why we stopped 
taking care of ourselves in a certain way or why our relationship feels like it's gone askew mm-hmm. unless we can get present and bring that awareness and uncover some truths. And so this coaching model is brilliant because uh, mindfulness is at the center. We do assess all of these areas mm-hmm. within the wheel of health, but every conversation has to have mindfulness at its center. And we always do practices and exercises to really build that attunement, build that connection with self so that uh, the client can can really answer some of the questions that they need to answer from, from just their own heart wisdom. Uh, I have to get you back on the show to do a session. <laughs> to call, fun. Do a talk, yeah. do a talk through with us, obviously, while people are not uh, using heavy machinery or driving vehicles. Right. Uh, <laughs> so tell us, please tell us about the book. I guess the kind of that's how we got connected in in the first place, wasn't it? Is is uh, someone reached out? Your your book publishers reached out and said that this would be a great thing to talk about on the show. So your yeah. book, meeting the moment moment with kindness, till. Tell the listeners about your book. Yeah, this book is is really a compilation of, of my learnings <laughs> over the last 20 years. Okay. Um, and as an educator, as a teacher, um, you know, just really understanding material, not only from a personal practice place, which is primary for me, but also really understanding Buddhist philosophy and um, Eastern contemplative traditions and where these practices have come from and how they get situated in current day. Um, it, it, it felt important for me to um, make sure that people had a really simple, short, accessible uh, way to access these teachings and practices. Yeah. And it actually came about because I had developed a um, seven module online course through Colorado State University where I work. And when I went to revise the online course a few years later, they needed me to kind of write through the text in a different format. And I thought, oh, my God, I've just I've just written the the outline of the book that I'd always wanted to write. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a lot of time um, going through and it has a lot of personal stories because I understand I, I want to bring people into this mindfulness conversation that have not been in the conversation that feel like, oh, this is this foreign thing outside of there. It doesn't jive with my religion or my background or my tradition. Mm. And this book is for those people who say, I just, I can't relate to it or it's so popularized and I know there's breathing involved, but how is that going to help me? Yeah. And I share my own personal stories and my struggles because I have worked through these major issues, which I call teachers, you know, anxiety is my number one teacher, even though I had great, great meditation teachers, anxiety is my number one teacher, but how have I done that process? And what have I learned along the way that felt really important to me to Mm -hmm. share throughout this book, along with a very kind of methodical way of bringing people into the practices around how do we even understand stress and how we work with stress, our brains and the, the role that our brains play in the, rea- you know, the body brain connections. Yeah. Um, and the last chapter is on compassion because um, there are two sides of the mindfulness coin. One is the awareness that yeah. I've been talking about, but the other side is compassion. And they are both fully dependent and interrelated because you can have awareness around a lot of things, but if you don't bring kindness to what you find, then your knowledge, your awareness is devoid of care. Okay. And if you only have compassion and empathy, but a lack of awareness, you're going to miss out on, on the forest, the big picture. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's why we end up with compassion. And that's why I call the book meeting the moment with kindness, because that's where we end, but that's where we begin is that um, in these moments of presence, we can be hard on ourselves. We can have panic attacks. We can be fearful mm. and everything that comes up can get softened with a moment of kind of kindness, putting our hand on our heart and saying, may I be well in this moment and not pushing it away because no. that is what we tend to do is push, push the difficult things away. Most definitely. And and that, like you said, that's when they get stored or that's when they escalate and that's when we lose control of them. And 
Yes. That's what creates the anxiety. That's what creates the depression. That's what creates a whole manner of different problems. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And I really like that. Yeah, you know, that, that the actual title of the book is really kind of what caught my attention was meeting the moment with kindness, because it's something that we don't have a tendency to be able to do very often. Is it? It's like you said, we're quite judgmental. We, we go straight into our own spaces. We can be hypercritical and not just of ourselves, but like the kind of the link I was like going to make this to, to kind of relationships is when someone does or says something that we meet that moment with them in our own maybe defended space rather than with a sense of kindness and empathy and under compassion and yes. all the kind of really kind of uh engaging emotions that we yes could. yes very protective i think that's a that's a really important word um in the way we deal with other people and you know this can take a lifetime of work it's the hardest in relationships right it's one thing if we can work on ourselves and bring that kindness to ourselves it's another thing when we find ourselves trying to balance all the junk that we bring from our childhoods into our relationships and uh i have to say i'm i'm extremely fortunate to be married to a psychotherapist who okay. yeah who uh who is actually a mindfulness instructor himself he's mm. a certified mindfulness instructor and we both value this conversation about mindfulness and the personal practice that we have and we have learned so much together in our relationship because as we have both gone on this mindfulness journey separately to some extent you have to kind of go on it separately we find that when we get into our inevitable tangles we both have the tools to be able to notice what's arising within ourselves yeah to bring the kindness to ourselves mm -hmm. and then to be able to interact again from a different kind of space rather than that triggered space. Yeah. And I actually talk about this a lot in my book because for us, and I, I am curious if the world could relate to this, but our issues and arguments happen in the kitchen. 95% of the time. <laughs> That's, that is the that is the truth for us. Uh, and um and I could measure over time the energetic difficulties in the kitchen from maybe 10 years ago. We've been married for over 20 years, from maybe 10 years ago to today. And the space of time that it takes us to get from maybe a triggered point of maybe six or seven, maybe that's as high as we go these days, mm -hmm. down to a two. And the time has decreased mm -hmm. as we both have embarked in a deeper and deeper mindfulness practice. And we talk about this all the time because it's it's pretty astounding. Like we could end up in a similar triggered reaction with each other with a similar thing that we may have, you know, thought about 10, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. But we both watch how <clears throat> we address each other very differently because mm -hmm. we come at it from our own place of mindfulness. Right. And uh, does that also help with the actual reaching the seven in the first place? Because I guess before, if yeah. you want, I mean, you, I mean, I know that when I get triggered now, mm -hmm. my triggers most of the time are a lot less intense than yeah. they used to be because of, again, the work that I've done in my own space. Do yeah. you, as, and is that, do you think, you, you, could you notice that in that scenario too, that you don't, you don't instantly go to a seven, you might, you know, fluff around a bit of five or something first right, and, right, and right. then bring it and bring it down to <laughs> bring it down to a two or one or a two straight away. Right, right. And actually where I was coming from was like, we're not, I don't go to a 10 anymore. Right, okay. At the worst case scenario, I go to a seven. And right. so we just um actually but yesterday before, had a little would have gone straight to a 10. I would have gone to a 10. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh because of all the baggage, because of all of my assumptions about, you know, what I think, you know, he's coming at this yeah, for yeah, yeah and all of that um but obviously the space you're in right in that moment right doesn't sometimes it doesn't really matter where they're coming from what they're saying what they're no, doing if no. you're not in the right he headspace no about really what someone does you're still going to go ah <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah so we we um we recognize the power of this because we've we've seen it with each other mm. um but i also have to say and and really would love to share this that 
the the biggest mindfulness tool that we have discovered and that we use on a weekly basis that I truly believe has helped us through the last five years. We've been using this for about five years mm-hmm. is um, based on a, a protocol actually that Tara Brock had developed Tara Brock, the, the meditation teacher. Yeah. And um, this is a communications protocol. And I don't think it's widely um, been, you know, discovered because I haven't talked to a whole lot of people who know about this, okay. but it's a protocol that um, asks couples. So I'll tell you how we've adapted the protocol. It's pretty different than her version of it, but this is awesome. what is amazing for us. So what we do is we start with a sitting for maybe 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So we actually set aside time on Sunday mornings to do this because okay. what we discovered is that um previously it was like the 8 30 everything was done you know our kid was taken care of we could sit down together at 8 30 and that is that is my lowest most exhausted kind of point at night and we just couldn't have any kind of dialogue and so we realized this isn't what's going to work for us so we mm-hmm. found that sunday mornings work we start with a 10 minute sitting just to center ourselves in our own space because we can bring that centered you know, energy into our conversation rather than yeah. starting this conversation from wherever we are, the frazzled yeah, yeah, yeah. or okay. you know, whatever. So we begin with that. Yeah. And then we mindfully listen to each other answer these questions. The first question is, what are you grateful for? So we listen to each other mm-hmm. to share. And this is really reflection over the last week. Right. It sets the tone. It opens up space for acknowledging, wow, there are amazing things that are going well here. Yeah. Um, the second, is that specifically yeah. about the relationship, what you're grateful for in the relationship no. or just in life in general, in life in general, Okay, yeah. just in general, what mm-hmm. are you grateful for right now? It could be, you know, I, something good happened to me this week at work. It could be, I'm just grateful for my house and I'm warm and it's cold outside or the fireplace works again, or, yeah. you know, the dogs are so awesome or something mm-hmm. cool happened with our son. It's, it's really special just to share that. And sometimes it takes work. Sometimes I'm kind of grumpy and I'm like, I don't really want to <laughs> tell you what I'm grateful really searching for. for it, don't you? <laughs> yeah. But um, it, it just, it opens an element of spaciousness and appreciation between the two of us, like regardless of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So that's question number one. Number two is, um, what are your stressors right now? So then, and this has nothing to do with our relationship or it can, mm-hmm. but usually it doesn't have anything to do with it. And we spend time listening to each other. Like, this is what's going on for me. I'm having a really hard time at work. I'm feeling really overwhelmed or I don't know what to do with this issue. Our son did something and just naming that it's not a conversation. We're mm-hmm. not problem solving. We're not trying okay. to help each other fix the problem. It's just listening. Just getting it out. You get getting it out. Yeah. And it feels so good mm-hmm. because when's the last time you've been asked, what are your stressors right now? Mm-hmm. And someone just, you know, mindfully listens to you. Yeah. So that's the second question. And then the last question is, we ask each other, what have you observed in our relationship? And this is where, let's say something had happened in the kitchen on a Monday. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't the right time to bring it up. Yeah. Or I needed to really work through it before I could bring it up. Mm-hmm. Or something really big. We've brought really, really big issues up. And it is a space where we can be entirely honest with, with each other, where mm-hmm. we are still applying the mindful listening to each other. We both know we'll get our turns. And again, this isn't about fixing. This isn't about um, defending ourselves by any means. Mm-hmm. If we need to take it to a different level and get out of the mind, not get out of the mindful listening, but um, move it into a conversation, we will make that deliberate decision. Yeah. But that is not what the space is for. This okay. is for listening. Yeah. And nine out of 10 times, or I would say 99 out of 100 times, um, all is all will be, even if there's an issue that's brought up, um, it will get resolved because of this process. Okay, cool. The final step to this is closing with a hug, no matter what, just closing with a hug, just a little bit of tenderness. Okay. And we walk away from these sessions. And I'm telling you, and this is Every single week we walk away going, oh my God, what would we do? What did what did we do without having this space? Okay. And the foundation is mindfulness for this. Um, yeah. all these skills of 
first grounding and centering second, you know, mindful listening third, being able to, um, feel the feelings Mm -hmm. and not push them away and bring awareness to maybe stories we're telling about them. And, and a lot of times we bring up, you know, well, interesting because this is a story I've been telling about that. So I'm glad you cleared that up. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of power in this practice. Yeah, I get like you said, is it gives you that clarity within your own space as well, doesn't it? Of what oh. bothering you, whether it's got anything to do with your other, your other half or not. Yeah, you know, yes. and then like you said, how often do I mean that's what I know people have used my my sessions for in the past. They just come and go. You know, what? I just need a space. Yes, to tell you what my life is like to tell yes. you what's going on for me and even if you don't say a word sometimes I don't really care because yeah. I just want you to hear what I've got to say and and that's yeah. what they've come along and used the space for uh, yeah. and people have done that continuously for some people I've seen for two or three years yeah because they've never you know like I try and encourage them to find that within other relationships but they feel very safe and secure yes. and they know that this is definitely a held space where yes. they can just come in and and be the be and explore themselves and explore their thoughts and feelings and just get it, get it into, out into the universe somewhere. That's absolutely right. And sometimes yeah. that is exactly what we need. And we need to find the right people like you to <laughs> yeah. hold that space, right? Yeah. That yeah. is so important. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, there's that non-judgment, compassionate, understanding mm-hmm. space mm-hmm. that we can all offer to somebody at some point yeah. um, because it is so helpful and so useful. Um Obviously, there are people and, and don't don't be upset if someone doesn't allow that. Right. Because we know that some people are just not mindful enough, I would say, to be able to buy into that kind of concept. And no matter what kind of non-judgment and compassion and understanding you'll try and offer them, it's not going to make the blinds a bit of difference because they're not they're not really going to be able to engage in that kind of space. So, no, you, no. but it doesn't mean that you can't still offer it because it's it generally is a much better space for you to come from if you are anyway isn't it yes absolutely yeah. right cool. um so i'm afraid we are running out of time thank you so much today for uh telling us about yourself what you do and and, and the great insights into especially that stuff at the end with the relationship uh people that are listening i'm going to uh if you want to comment and please let us know if your arguments satan tendency to occur in the kitchen um and when i put this on my socials i'm gonna try and remember to put a little poll on there as well to <laughs> see uh what the feedback is on that um i'm just thinking about my own issues and i'm not thinking it you know the kitchen is a, is a quite a, a hot place isn't it so <laughs> it, it, it could be that there is something in that and I'm, i need to go away and consider that as well um and don't have those kind of conversations in the kitchen um if people want to get hold of a copy of your book, if they want to reach out, find out more about what you do, um, how can they do that? Yeah. So the full title is actually Meeting the Moment with Kindness, How Mindfulness Can Help Us Find Calm, Stability, and an Open Heart. And it can be found anywhere that books are sold, whether it's Amazon or Bookshop or anywhere you search for your books. Okie dokie. Yeah. And can they get in touch with you via our website? Yeah, so my website is meetingthemoment.org. That easy. And I guess there's links on there for the, to get hold of the book if they want to as well. There are absolutely links. There are audio meditations. There are blog articles and lots of ways to think about everyday mindfulness. Oh, awesome. Everyday mindfulness. I love it when there's some resources on there that people can can tap yes. into straight away and just give things a little tryout to just to see how they connect with it. Yeah. Um, if they don't do it already, of course. Um, uh, any kind of parting words of wisdom or favorite quote that you've got yeah you know my favorite quote these days is actually from a poet daniel bayless he writes when we do the work the wounds become wisdom and i really live by that there's a lot we can we can be doing to turn Mm. the pain into wisdom great yeah excellent thank you uh thank you so again much for your time today it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you uh, and if we do get the opportunity, I'd love you to come back and maybe do some kind of mindfulness session, oh, uh, which would be really helpful and useful for people just to really experience it and see what we'll see what it's like. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the invitation. It's been wonderful. Oh, talking yeah, it's been with an you. absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. I'd love to uh, talk to you and I hope to speak to you again soon. You too. Take care. Thank you.
Hello, welcome back to Sue Schneider. Um, this is going to link straight into the first conversation we had. Um, so please tell the listeners what we're going to be doing now. That'd be really great. Yeah, thank you, John. We are going to do a fairly short practice and it's called pausing for presence. So the Persian poet Rumi asked a question that I find very fascinating. Do you make regular visits to yourself? And as we move quickly through our days, it is so easy to lose connection to ourselves and to what matters most. So we have to learn or relearn, learn, and we have to practice how to arrive in the present moment. So this is what we're going to be doing in our practice today. We are going to be bringing awareness to our bodies, our minds, and our breath. And in this process, it may just so happen that we can reconnect with our core essence, with who we really are. Oh, that sounds really interesting. I can't wait to get going. Ah, well, let's go ahead and begin I'm the just, short practice. Because it's cold here at the moment, like freezing cold, I'm just going to put my heater on to make sure that I don't shiver throughout. <laughs> Sounds good. And that is a uh, a great tip to make sure yes. we're all comfortable. Yeah, get yourselves right? comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be very comfortable. Um, there we go. Right. So we are going to make a visit to ourselves. So you may want to begin with just sensing your body, connecting your feet with the floor, feeling the soles of your feet in contact with the earth, feeling your seat in the chair, wherever you're sitting, the chair, the couch, the cushion, and just seeing if you can sit upright a little bit to help you stay alert, but also relaxed. You may want to allow your hands to rest gently in your lap. And perhaps you want to let your eyes close gently. Or if you prefer, you can leave them open with a soft, receptive gaze. And just noticing, where are you finding your body in this moment? Maybe feeling a bit where you hold your tension. This might be in your shoulders. For some of us, it's more in our stomach area. And just seeing if you can let some of that tension flow out of your shoulders and your belly down into the ground. Releasing, letting go. And as you come into stillness in your body, sensing now that you are pausing, you are arriving into presence. You may wanna take a few deep breaths now, feeling the air as it enters your nostrils, filling your chest and abdomen Releasing that breath, letting it flow out easily. Taking another deep breath, feeling the air flowing in. And as you release this breath, Seeing if you can release it more slowly than the last. 
Feeling the sensations of the exhale as your breath moves through your body. Taking one more full deep breath. Feeling the inhale and the exhale as your breath moves through your body. And now allowing your breath resume its natural rhythm. Noticing where you feel your breath most vividly. Maybe it's predominant in the nostrils. Maybe in the chest or abdomen. Then resting your attention lightly on that area. Your attention can be as light as a butterfly nests on a flower. the breath is not a good anchor for you, you might instead place your attention on the sensations in your hands or your feet. Noticing the aliveness you feel in your hands or in your feet or in any area in your body that is comfortable, that is an anchor. It's trusting yourself to notice what is comfortable for you. with a relaxed, interested attention. Just discovering the sensations of the in-breath and the out-breath. Or the sensations in your hands or feet. Right now, in this moment, You might notice that your mind has wandered away from your anchor a bit. When this happens, and it will, you can gently bring your attention back to the inflow and the outflow of the breath into your chosen anchor. And when you notice the thought, you might just give it a neutral label, like thinking, planning, there is no need to get caught up in the story of the thought. 
and no need to judge what you are thinking. Just bring your attention gently back to your anchor and let yourself rest there. These are the basic instructions for working with whatever your mind chooses to secrete. Just noticing, naming, and seeing if you can gently release. Returning back to your anchor again and again. As you come deeper into presence, just sensing your body, relaxing even more, feeling gravity, feeling the earth supporting you. Noticing in this moment, the state of your body. Do you feel warm, cool, ease, tension? No judgment is needed, just noticing. You may notice, too, the state of your mind and your heart, just as it is in this moment, racing or quiet, joyful or sad. Whatever it is, just letting this moment hold it all. Just being aware that you are here, feeling the grounded 
sensations of being seated and present in this moment. And the in and the out breath. We're in the sensations of the body. And as we practice, notice that we can become present in the midst of whatever is going on. Whether it is pleasant, or whether there is pain or tension or worry. You can notice and relax into whatever is there with kind, gentle attention. You're feeling the practice settling into your body. Knowing that this is a practice you can return to again and again. That you can make regular visits to yourself. And carry this simple presence with you as you move about your day. And we're going to take a deep breath now to close out our practice. You might wiggle your toes and your fingers, maybe moving your body, stretching out your arms, whatever. You need to feel awake and alert. And whenever you are ready, you can open your eyes and greet the day from a place of deeper presence. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're very welcome. You look very relaxed. I am very relaxed. Yeah. You probably nearly lost me to sleep a couple of times in there as well. <laughs> Absolutely. And I always there are so many people who get drowsy in this mm. process. And I say, hey, guess what? Pay attention because there's some inner exhaustion there. Yes. As soon and as that's... I closed my eyes and started to relax, I could just feel the the energy that was in my head. You know, you said focus on your body, your chest or your uh, stomach. Where do you yeah. feel that? And I could feel it all in my, like my head was all of a sudden going, oh, I can slow down a little bit. I can shut. That's where I felt all the busyness and the stress, tension and everything else was going on in my mind. So it was interesting. Speed. Yeah, it is. Um, it's such important information because mm. how often do we actually pause and take stock 
yeah. of where that tension is. Mm. Yeah. And I like the, um, I've done a bit of mindfulness practice myself, but what you said was really interesting thing about the thoughts. Um, it's something that we can get very distracted by, isn't it? And when we're trying to be in the moment, it's okay yeah. just to go, okay, well, that's just come. I can now let that go again. And right. Like you said, the anchor was really good as well. The finding the anchor. I've never anchored like that before. Yeah. And and a few things there. I mean, we have to find the anchor that works the best for us. Mm. And sometimes there are these ideas that it's always the breath. And a lot of times it is the breath. But for some of us, the breath can get us actually a little, a little tense. And so finding the right place in our body Mm. to anchor is so important. Just um, feeling comfortable exploring that Mm. is really a first step for us because the anchor is really important. But the Yeah, but the other piece of it is the misconception that when we are meditating or centering or grounding, our goal is to clear our mind. Mm. And it's actually super impossible (laughs) to do that in most cases, right? Yeah. And so this is where attending and befriending comes in really handy. We're just, we're noticing what's actually happening instead of stuffing it away and rejecting all of the thoughts or rejecting the monkey mind or wherever our heart or our emotions are, we're actually just opening up some space. Mm-hmm. And then we're not getting caught in the stories behind them, but we can actually release gently if we need to, if we need to spend some time with the energy around it, that's okay. Mm-hmm. But the idea is not that we're just trying to clear it. We're really paying attention and we're bringing a little bit of of caring and kindness because whatever's coming up is coming up for a reason. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, just as an example, my my ankle was my right hand. Interesting. Where I was rested on my desk, it was kind of tingly and it felt quite heavy compared to the rest of my body. Interesting. So um, I I went I went straight to that as my anchor, and that was good as a it kind of because it was it was tingling all the way through as a really good focus as well. Wow. Um, yeah, and I guess I'm not sure if, if it was in our previous conversations or something else. It's like you, you have to be a Tibetan monk and do this for like decades to really kind of switch off, don't you? It's not something that unless yeah. you're hugely practiced at it that anybody can really do. Right. Mm. Totally. And the the beauty is we can do it five minutes a day. Mm. We can actually begin to train our brains how to quiet down and and you know because my anchor is actually my breath right here and when i find myself in difficult situations in my waking hours and my working hours um i actually return to my breath as my anchor not because i'm meditating but because that is where i can ground myself in the moment no matter what i'm doing mm-hmm. and so these techniques um while we can benefit from just sitting and meditating and working with these techniques. These techniques are actually incredibly powerful, bringing them out into our everyday lives. Most definitely. Yeah. I remember when I, again, one I used to use was when you said about breathing through your nose to feel the air. Mm-hmm. The, the person that did my training on the course I did, he, was, he, he said to do cool air in, warm air out. Yes, cool air in, warm air out. You can feel it. And when we start like paying attention to that, it is mm-hmm. so sublime. It is happening 24-7 and we are not paying attention to it. It's wonderful to pay attention to it. Most definitely. And that's definitely, yeah, definitely saying I needed today. Um, uh, and hopefully it's helped people that have also gone through. Um, I hope I'll, so. I'll make sure before we start, there's a little, don't do this while you're operating heavy machine and you're driving and things like that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Good information. Yes. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that's completely, that's completely set me up for a nice Friday evening. Thank you very much. Wonderful. I'm glad. Thanks for the opportunity. <laughs> Thank you. And, and if you want to reach out to Sue, just remind everybody how they can, how they can reach out to you. Yeah. So my website is www.meetingthemoment.org. I actually have 18 audio uh, practices posted that you can access anytime. And they're all different. They're working with the heart, they're working with the breath, they're working with the mind, they're working with the body, um, all guided meditations and all audios. So please, if you're interested in practicing in different kinds of ways and exploring, they're available for you. I mean, that's super useful as well, right? Because 18 will keep you going for a long time. They sure will. Yes. <laughs> there are many, many different ways of practicing. 
There are. Yes. Thank you again for your time, Sue. That's a pleasure speaking to you again, and, and thank you for coming along and, and, and offering that that clearing session to people. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, follow and review the show. That is very much appreciated. And please do reach out if you would like to know more about how you can create healthy, intimate relationships in your life. I will leave you with this quote from Carl Bond. Although we can't go back and make a brand new start, we can start now and make a brand new ending. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Relationship Guide.